So reading from verse 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sins. He who hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen these miracles and signs, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. When a counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the father, He will testify about me, and you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. That is the word of the Lord. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about suffering for Christ. It's your favorite subject, no doubt. So far, while studying this chapter 15 of the Gospel of John, we have had a lot of great encouragements indeed from them. Uh, Jesus started off by telling the disciples that he was and is the true vine and that we, the Gentiles, that's you and I, would also be called by the Father and be engrafted into this true vine, into Jesus Christ. And we are told of this incredible love, the relationship that actually exists between the Father and Son since before eternity. And now this love is poured out on you and I, his chosen people. That's encouraging. We're also told to love each other, to care for each other, and all these privileges that comes from that comes to you on account of his, Jesus' love for you. We are, well, in terms of history, mere only hours away from when Jesus is actually arrested. He is led before the judges and he is led to his death on the cross. So it would be fair to assume, if you think in terms of being there at the time in history, these disciples may have been somewhat troubled about what they've been told, what's going to happen in the next few hours, the arrest and the death of their master. And it is then that Jesus changes tack in his teaching and begins to warn them about persecution. But let us pray that we may understand too what the disciples are receiving here. Let us pray. Our loving Father, we ask that you will open our hearts wide to this, that we may understand there are things we need There are things we can do, there are things we will suffer. But we know, Lord, that we can trust you, we can trust the Father, that all will be well and that nothing happens that isn't for our own good. We pray that you will indeed give us this strong understanding and our safety and our assurance. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, verse 17 said this, love each other. Uh, these words will be of greatest importance to each, every, every one of you. In verse 18, it reads, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you and its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. That's also why the words love each other become so important to you, because the world at large will hate you, and they will treat you as an enemy. So that your love and care for each other becomes even more important to you. Jesus has just opened this section by telling the disciples how much the world will hate them, and he gives them three reasons why this is so. Firstly, you will be hated because you are not of this world. They hate, they hate you because they, they simply... Uh, the way you live, the way you are, they're grounded in fear, the fear and the hate because they don't understand who you are. They don't understand what you believe. You are just too different. And when we hear Jesus speaking of the world, he speaks of the entirety of what all the world contains, the whole of creation, the people, the world's values, the pleasures, the pastime, the aspirations of the world and the sins that comes out of into all this. It is all of that what Jesus calls the world. The world just doesn't know God. In John 1.3, we're told of this, the reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. It doesn't know God, doesn't want to know God. And also the world rejects Jesus in John 1.10. He was in the world and through the world, was, although the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Totally rejects Jesus, God. Jesus is factually telling you the world will hate you because you are different. You are not conforming to their standards, their values, their principles, and never is this been more evident than we have now in 2021. It is just getting worse by the day. And how, how deep, how deep does this hatred actually go? Well, the Liberal Party, we're talking the Conservative Party, those that should be protecting the Christian churches and our, our rights of freedom of, of religion. The Liberal Party of South Australia now will not allow Christians into membership of the party in South Australia because they, the Christians, will oppose abortion and euthanasia. They've had 500 Christians apply for membership in the last month and they've all been rejected. And in late terms, abortions, they cannot have. We cannot go for some time on this tangent. There are so many examples around the world that tells us that this is not going to get any better. The second reason is that you belong to Jesus, of course. I have chosen you out of the world, he tells you. We as Christians understand that to be chosen, to be gracious, to be merciful, and the act of God, but the world sees it as an elitist sort of thing. It is something that we have been given that they don't have, and they don't like it. They don't understand it, but they see it as an elitist thing. And it hates you for that as well. The doctrine of election, 
of course, is abhorrent to the world. That God would choose some and not others. I mean, how, how evil do you want to get? There are a few things in the world that stirs up negative feelings more than when the Bible starts teaching that God in his sovereign grace, the creator of the entire universe, elects some and not others. And that particular thing is, by the way, also difficult for some even Christians to grasp. And the third reason is obvious. The world hates Christians rooted in their deep hate for Christ. And because of this, verse 19 says, but I have chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. It's because Christ loves you. They hate you. And then the next verse, when we know all that, makes sense. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecute me, they will persecute you also. And if they obeyed my teaching, they also obey yours. They will treat you this way because of my name, because they do not know the one who sent me, the Father. This is actually the central issue at hand in all of this. You are hated because the hate they have for Jesus, they don't hate you because being who you are by yourself. They hate you due to your association to Jesus. That's just the way the world operates, and maybe more so today than ever before. We are no longer people with a different set of values or opinions that we can talk about. We are simply not of their world, and that is an utterly unacceptable situation for them. The hatred of Christians and Jews have never been greater than what it is today. You and I, because we belong to Jesus, we are in Christ. Jews, because they claim to be belonging to God. Same thing. But the world sees it as exactly the same. They don't see the distinction. So why is the hatred of Jesus so intense? Well, verse 22 tells you, If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sins. He who hates me hates my father as well. All of this hatred is irrational. Totally irrational. We have all known and heard of people that are filled with pride, they have arrogance, they have selfishness, hypocrisy. But see, none of those things can be found in Jesus, not one of them. Quite on the contrary, in fact, Jesus was the most humble man ever to have lived on earth. There was no selfishness found in him whatsoever. He would lay down his life for others, literally. And not just others, but reprobates, sinful people that attacked him, hated him. You and I, sinful as we are, he loved you and died for you. But he was a true servant of the Lord God, and he never, ever uttered a hypocritical word. If we read the Beatitudes, the teaching of Jesus in chapter 5 to 7 in the Matthews, as an explanation, indeed, of the Ten Commandments, then we come to understand better why the people of the day, namely the Pharisees and the temple leaders, the people that were supposed to defend God, they hated Jesus, had laid their sins out before them. He, they had come to an understanding through the Beatitudes 
of who they were. And of course that gave them fear, the fear of losing their power and their influence on the Israel. People of the world hates being exposed, having their sinful displayed for all to see. We do, don't we? We just don't like being shown off. Even people who do not believe in Jesus understand their sinful behavior when they hear the word of God spoken. It's been the words of Jesus in the words of Jesus in the Bible that today offends the world and why you and I are so despised by the world. And then there's the works of Christ, another reason for all this display of displeasure. Verse 24 says, If I had not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen these miracles, these signs, and yet they have hated both me and my Father. What is it then about these miracles, the signs that Jesus has has done through his time on earth? Well, it has to do with what Jesus says about them, what it says. In John 5, 19, he told them this, Jesus gave them this answer, Very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Well, what he's telling the Pharisees and and the people of, uh, of Israel is that he is doing what God does. In fact, he says, I am God. That doesn't sit very well with the Pharisees. And in John 9, 4, as long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. We will continue to the very last day we live on earth to be a witness for God, for the greatness of Jesus Christ. When we consider the miracles and the signs that have filled the life and his ministry, we clearly see that the works of Christ is in fact the works of God. And hence, It's a revelation of the Father in the Son. The works of God and the revelation of God are brought to their proper climax, indeed the completion through the ministry of Jesus Christ walking with us. This is precisely why the world really hates Jesus. When I say Jesus, not God, it is because You can go into the world today and you can talk about God all day long and they will nod, smile politely and say, you're cross, but try using the name Jesus and see what the reaction becomes. All of a sudden, you're cross the line of acceptability. All the works and teaching of Jesus shows us up for who we truly are, what we truly are, have been and what we shouldn't be. See, the Bible tells us how we should live. But at the same time, it is a double-edged sword. It tells you exactly who we are and why we need Jesus. And if you do not have his Holy Spirit, then you have really no way of fully understanding what that means, which in turn, of course, leads to a hatred of the messenger, in this case, Jesus. And obviously, the extension of that is you. You are connected to him. You are proclaiming him in the world and therefore you are part of him whom they hate. 
Put simply, the world we live in hates Christians because it hates Christ and hates the Father. We cannot be separated from them. We are one. The world just hates. God is love and they don't know him. That's the sad part, the really sad part. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. When he says their law, it is the Pharisees, the, 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 the Sadducees. They wrote what they considered to be their law. They took the commandments and they mangled them and made them into something that they wanted. And it writes, they hated me without reason. When they changed the word of God, it is a hateful thing towards God. David wrote of this hatred in Psalm 35 as well as in Psalm 69. The Israelites in the desert didn't want to listen to the voice of God. We know that from the Mount Sinai issue. They pleaded with Moses to intercede. They wanted to hear from Moses. They didn't want to hear the voice of God. That was hurtful. Whenever does the work of God the Father will place themselves in the firing line. If you step out into the world and speak about Jesus and the Father and the salvation that come from that, you will indeed be in the firing line and be the recipient, recipient of the wrath of the world for no reason whatsoever other than out of your love for the world that Christ had, you share that love. See, if we work it into the life we lead here, now, if you had the Queen of England call you and offer you a position of a special envoy to the Commonwealth, a high, high esteemed role within the realm, you would no doubt feel pretty chuffed, wouldn't you? You have been called by the Queen to serve her into her realm. But then how about God? The God that created the entire universe, he calls you to be his envoy to the world. How chuffed do you feel now? Isn't that so much bigger? When the counselor comes in verse 26, whom I send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who comes out from the Father, he will testify about me, Christ, And you will also testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. It's an interesting wording he's using here. We have been with him from the beginning. One, he speaks of the disciples that have walked with him since he started his ministry at age 30. But he's speaking of you and me as well, because we were with him from the beginning of creation, because our names are in the book of life. We were not late addition. We were there all the time, but some of us just didn't know it. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, As God fellow workers, we urge you to not to receive God's grace in vain. You haven't been told to go into the world by yourself and do the best you can with whatever you have. No, indeed, you have been given the Holy Word of God. You have also been given his Holy Spirit to dwell in your heart and be there to guide you, to teach you, to strengthen you, to give you comfort and assurance. And with all that is what you go out and you serve him in this world. You are not his servant, however, you are his friend, his fellow worker. As we concluded last week, you are special. 
You are really, really special to God. He chose you. See, you did not choose him. He chose you in the middle of all this. What then is he asking of you? What is it that you are to do? It says here, and you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. As all Jesus is ever asking of you and I is to be his witnesses in the world for what little time that we have here. And when I say little time, I'm talking about little time in a context of eternity. It is but a blink of an eye. It may seem long to you, but it isn't. All of this is to be done in the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember, this is the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the grave, that caused him to be born as a man. This is the Holy Spirit that guided all the men that wrote down the words of God to make up the Bible that you have here in your hands today. This is the same Holy Spirit that guides you as an individual. This is the Holy Spirit that revealed Jesus to you in the first place and gave you a new life, a new hope, gave you all this understanding. And remember the promise given us in Luke 12, 12. The Holy Spirit will give you the words to say at the moment when you need them. Just remember Philip that stood before the Sanhedrin and talked about all these things. It was actually Stephen, not Philip. And then they killed him. Think of the witness in the same that Philip on the road with their eunuch described in the scriptures. The man there was sitting there reading Isaiah 53. The text actually speaking about Jesus Christ but couldn't quite make sense out of it all. So Philip asked him if he understood and received the answer in Acts 8.31. How can I, the eunuch said, how can I unless someone explains it to me? That's what we are. We are the Philips to the world. We are the Holy Spirit will provide you with God's word of wisdom, provided with you all you need to be his witness to the ends of the world. It's not too much to ask from what you've been given if you truly understand the gift you have. The verses we have just covered in this study are of the most utmost importance to all of us as they reveal the incredible gap that between Christ's own people and then the people of the world. If we truly take time to let this think in, we will be spending much more time, or less time indeed, on trivial questions about life here on earth. And we will not be looking for what the world has to offer at all. Rather, we will be seeking the will of God in all the things and the strive for God's glory. That's really what we're here for. As Peter writes to us, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourself also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they will do not live in the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desire, but rather for the will of God. That's you, he wrote about. We all know the action speaks louder than words, but sometimes we actually need both. Your life should be a witness in itself. And there was an old theologian that once was quoted as saying, preach the gospel at all times. 
but if necessary, use words. So your life is the witness. A little suffering will do you good. It's the old story. What doesn't kill you will make you strong. But even if it does, you will be with him in heaven. There's no loss here. It's all win-win. So be a good witness for the Lord Jesus Christ because you love him. He called you. You did not seek him because he loved you first. We need to know these things in our heart. We need to live a life that reflects that we do understand what we have been given. Let us pray. Our loving, gracious, loving Father, we come to you to simply thank you for this passage, for the warning that it is that we always knew that there will be suffering, Lord, but the suffering has a purpose. It is placing us together with Jesus. He suffered for us. We suffer for him. But it is only such a short time. We pray, Lord, that you will strengthen us, strengthen our resolve to live a life that truly reflects your goodness, your love, and your wonderful plan of salvation. May it be so in our lives each and every day. We pray this in Jesus' name.